Biden military prosecutors are negotiating plea deals to allow 9-11 perpetrators to avoid the death penalty. Biden's federal agents are targeting more Trump supporters. And the CDC admits they lied to us about the dangers of myocarditis from getting the COVID vaccine. All that and more coming up on this edition of the Doc Washburn Show. Welcome to the Voice of the Resistance with Doc Washburn. We're the show that pushes back against the Uniparty and lets you in on the news that traditional talk radio is all too often afraid to talk about. This is episode 238 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. It's Tuesday, September 13th, 2022. Just so you understand where I'm coming from, I was fired by one of the biggest radio companies in America, Cumulus Media, simply because I refused their vaccine mandate. More evidence comes out all the time that a lot of people are having serious negative reactions to the vaccines. Also, I will never call Joe Biden president because it's obvious the last U.S. presidential election was stolen. I will never pretend a man can become a woman, and I will never forget about the January 6th political prisoners most Republican politicians refuse to even mention. And August 8th, 2022, the day the Biden regime's secret police conducted an unprecedented and unconstitutional raid in the home of a former president of the United States is a day that shall live in infamy. So this is a really different kind of talk show. We're unmasked, uncensored, and unfiltered. If you'd like to support what we do, go to our website, docwashburn.com, and click on the button that says Become a Patron. Also, please remember to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode. All right, first of all, I, I want to tell you what the Daily Caller is saying about what Tucker Carlson revealed Monday night, September 12th. Article entitled Suppress Political Dissent. Tucker Carlson says he received subpoenas from Merrick Garland's DOJ to Trump allies. Nicole Silverio is the media reporter here. She says Fox News host and Daily Caller co-founder Tucker Carlson revealed Monday that his show obtained subpoenas from the Department of Justice sent to allies of former President Donald Trump. Carlson said the show obtained subpoenas issued by the DOJ to investigate any claim that the vice president and or the president of the Senate had the authority to reject or choose not to count presidential electors. He argued any claim made by electors or elections is protected under the First Amendment. So let's let's hear what he said. Uh, you know, I, I, I try not to do this too often uh, because, you know, Tucker's got a show with millions of viewers. I have a podcast that even though our podcast is in the top 2% of podcasts worldwide, still, you know, I, I don't have a fraction of the listeners that Tucker has viewers. So I, I try not to impose on Tucker too often, but I mean, the guy is like a lone voice crying out in the wilderness. He talks about stuff that nobody else on TV seems to be even mentioning, especially on his own channel. 
And when he has something this jarring, everybody else is, is ignoring. I got to give the brother some play. Got to do it. So anyway, um, Tucker Carlson talking about subpoenas going out to a lot of Trump supporters. And it is outrageous. This is from his Monday night program, Monday night, September 12th. This show has obtained a subpoena from Merrick Garland's DOJ issued in the past week. And what it demands is both unlawful and without precedent in American history. The subpoena claims to be investigating, quote, any claim that the vice president and or president of the Senate had the authority to reject or choose not to count presidential electors. Now, keep in mind that any claim you make as an American citizen about electors, any claim you make about American politics, period, is protected explicitly under the First Amendment. That's our core freedom. It's why we live here. It's why we're proud to be Americans. It's why so many American servicemen died protecting our country. Those are the freedoms that they fought to preserve. That's why nobody prosecuted leading Democrats in 2016 when they sought to reject electors for Donald Trump. Right. You see where he's going with this. They're criminalizing political speech that is protected by the First Amendment of the United States Constitution. They know what they are doing, and they are doing it anyway. They're acting like people who are not concerned that they will ever be held accountable by voters. Just so you know, here's more from Tucker. It's why none of those people, including Kamala Harris, is now in jail. But right now, according to the subpoena that we have obtained, Merrick Garland's DOJ is demanding all communication from the following people on this topic. And let's be clear before we read their names that it is not clear what the investigation is actually about. And that's the most terrifying part. What is this? On what grounds are you demanding my private communications with people? They never say. But included in this precedent-breaking sweep of political opponents of the Biden White House would be former White House advisor Bernie Carrick, who is the former police commissioner of New York City, Boris Epstein, who is the current attorney for Donald Trump. And no- that's that's uh, protected attorney-client privilege. You, you can't do that. No time in American history has it been okay to grab the personal communications of someone's lawyer because those are privileged. Not anymore. Matt Morgan, Justin Clark, Kenneth Chesbrough, Mike Roman, RNC official Joshua Finley, Trump attorneys John Eastman, Jenna Ellis, Joe DeGeneva, James Troopas, Rudy Giuliani, Sidney Powell, Victoria Tenzing, Cleta Mitchell, Bruce Marks. We can go on and on and on and on. The DOJ is now going after former White House official Stephen Miller, frequent guest on this show with a subpoena. By the way, you mentioned Cleta Mitchell. Cleta Mitchell was a guest on Fox News on the Saturday morning after the 2020 presidential election, Fox News had just called the election for Biden, and Cleta Mitchell said, just because you call the election for Biden doesn't mean he won. And Sandra Smith, on camera, on air, was very upset about that. Just so you know, yeah, it's that Cleta Mitchell. God bless her. Why? Well, it could be because Stephen Miller went on this network and said, quote, if we win these cases in the courts, then we can direct the alternate state of electors are certified. In other words, he didn't call for an insurrection. 
much less violence or a coup, he called for alternate electors to be seated if the court ordered them to be seated. In other words, he was following the constitutionally prescribed process post-election. He was doing what he's supposed to do. He was following the rules. But under Joe Biden, that apparently is now a crime. And by the way, every one of these people has to hire lawyers to defend him or herself. And a lot of them at this point, after two years of harassment by Joe Biden, can't afford it. In addition, we should say, we've obtained the subpoena. Uh, this subpoena goes on to demand the communications from dozens of other Republicans and people who have spoken to them including State Representative Jake Hoffman in Arizona, Republican National Committee member Kathleen Burden in Michigan, former U.S. Representative Lou Barletta in the state of Pennsylvania, and Republican State Party Secretary James Graffenfreud in Nevada, among dozens and dozens of others. So what is this about? It can't possibly be about January 6th, the fake insurrection, the only insurrection in history with no guns. See, what he just said there about January 6th, fake insurrection? A majority of Republicans in Congress would disagree with him on that. That's how, how far down we are. Because he's right. It was a fake insurrection. It was a Fedsurrection. It was a setup by the Feds. Most Republicans in Congress do not want to hear that. It's too painful for them to consider the implications of that. If you catch my drift, and I hope you do. Is more Tucker Carlson. The insurrection which the only person shot to death was a Trump supporter. No. The point of this is to suppress political dissent, to hobble an entire political party, and to keep any of these people from ever participating in American politics again. And by the way, the cost to each one of these individuals or to any person at whose house the FBI shows up is enormous. Ask anybody who's at the FBI showed up with guns at their home what that's like. By accusing these people of insurrection for asking questions about electors by comparing them to Confederate soldiers, Merrick Garland's DOJ plans to disenfranchise them, if not jail them. Really? So prohibit people from participating in American politics in the name of democracy. I won't be surprised if they show up at my house. I won't be surprised. I mean, they got a lot of people a lot more important and powerful than me to deal with first. But I won't be surprised if they get around to me. Not at all. Not in the least. Um, we've got uh, we've got more from Tucker, uh, including uh, more names and a woman who was brave enough to come on his program. Incredible! It is an incredible time we're living through. You know, I remember. During the 36-day siege in which Al Gore tried to steal the election from George W. Bush in November and December of the year 2000. And I remember Michael Savage. I was the program director of the first radio station in Florida 
to pick up Michael Savage's national show. And I was very proud of that. There's a little, uh, little radio station called Fish Radio in Niceville, Florida. Depending upon which direction you drove from our studios, you might get five miles away and not even be able to pick it up, but doggone it, we were the first radio station in the state of Florida to carry the Michael Savage show. And I remember during the 36-day siege in which Al Gore tried to steal that election, Savage getting on the radio and ranting and raving and saying, you don't understand the times you live in. I'll never forget it as long as I live. And I was proud that when they reached out to us and a bunch of other radio stations across the country, we may not have been the first radio station in America to carry his national show, but we were the first radio station in Florida. And that's right. A lot of people did not understand the times they lived in and how close we came to losing our freedom if Al Gore had been allowed to steal the election as Joe Biden was allowed to steal the election 20 years later. you got to understand something. If the current regime was content with the idea that they won fair and square, they wouldn't be treating us like this. If they really believed that Joe Biden got something like 12 million more voters than Barack Obama did in 08, 7 million more than Trump did in 2020, they wouldn't even be breaking a sweat. They wouldn't be bothering Trump. They wouldn't be bothering Trump supporters. If they really believed that a majority of Americans voted for the dementia patient in the Oval Office, but they know that's not the case. So, Again, a majority of Republicans in Congress cannot allow themselves to get over the cognitive dissonance and look at what, actually, what is actually happening. It's too painful. I think I mentioned um, recently a very bright guy named Andrew C. McCarthy who wrote the book Willful Blindness back in 2008, about how it's just too painful for our leaders, Democrat or Republican, liberal to conservative, to consider the possibility that maybe the jihadists attacked us, and not just on 9-11, but other times too, because they have some kind of religious incentive. They cannot bring themselves to even consider that possibility. They're not going to look at the Koran. Okay, now, now, Andrew McCarthy and most Republicans in Congress have willful blindness because it is too painful for them to consider the possibility of the implications of what the feds are doing at the behest of the Biden regime. Well, I guess DOJ must have something on Trump. No, 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 no. You know that's not true. Anyway, here is uh, more Tucker Carlson. 
from his show Monday night. He's trying to warn you, so I'm trying to warn my listeners if you didn't catch it. The very next day, the morning after Joe Biden delivered that speech at 8.30 a.m., a woman called Lisa Gallagher was sick in bed at her home in suburban New Jersey. Her daughter came upstairs and told her that the FBI was waiting outside. Now, Lisa Gallagher is not a criminal, never has been. She is an active Trump supporter, particularly on Facebook. She had a Trump flag on her lawn. She's a patriotic American. She describes herself as a rule follower. She's never once been in trouble with the law at any level. And she had nothing whatsoever to do with January 6th. And yet outside her door were three FBI agents with guns. Quote, we got an anonymous tip. You were at the Capitol on January 6th. That's what they said. Gallagher was terrified. Quote, I thought they were going to take me out of here in handcuffs, she told the show this morning. Ultimately, her husband came home and the two of them showed the FBI agents her daily calendars from January of 2021 and finally convinced the agents that she was not at the Capitol that day. Imagine armed FBI agents showing up at your house because you supported Trump on Facebook and demanding records of your whereabouts on a date nearly two years ago. And of course, the FBI already knew that Lisa Gallagher was not there because they have sophisticated facial recognition software. So they were never planning to arrest her. The point, and this is a theme in every authoritarian regime, the point was to use government agents to intimidate enemies of the regime on the basis of an anonymous tip. Quote, I have never been so frightened in my life, Lisa Gallagher said. The rest of us should feel the same way. Snitches? Anonymous snitches? The secret police showing up at your door when you're in bed? This is Soviet, and there's no other word for it. But it's not just Lisa Gallagher. The same thing is happening to dozens, maybe scores, of other supporters of the former president. Amy Kremer, for example, is a former Tea Party member and a candidate for the House of Representatives. She also obtained special permits for the National Park Service, which authorized Donald Trump's rally on January 6th, 2021. To be perfectly clear, Amy Kramer never went to the Capitol on that day. She never encouraged anyone else to go either. But for the crime of organizing a lawful political event, an election justice rally protected by the Constitution, Amy Kramer is now being terrorized by Merrick Garland's DOJ. On Wednesday morning, FBI agents showed up at her home, first at the home of her ex-husband, carrying a subpoena for her daughter, Kylie. Kramer received a call from Kylie's stepmother saying, quote, the FBI is here for her. The FBI's subpoena demands all communications from Amy Kramer and Kylie, including their social media posts, what? From October 1st, 2020 to the present day. Now, why would the FBI, Joe Biden's FBI, need Amy Kramer's daughter's Instagram posts? Because this isn't about the events leading up to January 6th. Obviously, it's about mining all of her personal information. This is harassment on political grounds. It's illegal. It's unconstitutional. It shocks the conscience of everyone who sees it. But the number of people who see it is very small because it is not covered by any media. And it's not just happening to Amy Kramer. And again, a lot of people in Washington refuse to see it. I mean, you understand something. Um, most of official Washington does not watch Tucker Carlson's show. And I include the Republicans in Congress. They're not paying attention. He has the most watched show on Fox News by a long shot because he's got the guts to do things like this. 
Lisa Gallagher, as we told you a moment ago, is one of the many Trump supporters who woke up to an FBI raid earlier this month, and we are grateful that she's willing to join us to tell us about it. Lisa, thank you so much for coming on. So I, I just want to be clear that you have not committed a crime of any kind. I don't think you've ever been accused of a crime. You weren't even at the Capitol on January 6th. I don't think you're even in Washington. Tell us how you felt when Joe Biden's FBI showed up with guns at your home the morning after his speech. I was terrified, and I'll be honest with you, when my daughter woke me up telling me there were three armed FBI officers at my door, I thought she was joking. And I immediately tried to throw clothes on. I called my husband, I was crying. My knees were shaking. And even though I knew I'd done nothing wrong, after seeing Joe Biden's speech the night before, I thought, oh my God, this is political. And I was frightened. I truly thought, they can take me out of here in handcuffs. And I thought, I'm in my bedroom. I thought, am I not coming home? So I went outside and I said, gentlemen, you're scaring me. And they proceeded to tell me that they were given an anonymous tip that I was at the Capitol on January 6th. Even though, of course, as we said, they knew you weren't because they had facial recognition software and there's no evidence and it's almost two years ago. Do you know who this anonymous tip, this snitch who turned you into federal law enforcement for supporting Trump on Facebook might be? No, I know nothing. And I invited them into my home so I could look at my phone and my calendar. And I have subsequently called the FBI office in Newark to just document or know for sure that it really was FBI agents at my home. And it was. And they said it was an anonymous tip, but they won't tell me anything else. Yeah, because there are not enough law enforcement concerns right now with 107,000 Americans dying of fentanyl uh, last year. Lisa Gallagher, I know it takes bravery to come on and explain what happened to you. I think only when people do that will it end. And so I'm doubly grateful that you did this for us tonight. Thank you so much. Thank you, Tucker. You know, um, I saw someone on Twitter I believe it was, because that's where I do all my show prep. That's where I get all the stuff. Say what they're trying to do is outlaw the Republican Party. That, that's, that's what they're trying to do. Um, Mike Davis, who I had on the program... Episode 225, if you haven't heard the interview yet, you need to go back and check it out. Episode 225, he was a law clerk for Justice Gorsuch, and he was also chief counsel for nominations for the U.S. Senate Judiciary Committee, working for Senator Grassley when the Republicans were in charge of the Senate. Um, speaking of Twitter, he says, look, In response to the Washington Times article saying most voters say Biden was consulted, profited from Sun's overseas business dealings, Mike Davis says there is overwhelming evidence Biden, his son Hunter, and his brother James were illegally on Chinese and Ukrainian payrolls when Biden was vice president. What's Attorney General Merrick Garland? the Biden Justice Department, and Christopher Ray's FBI doing about it. What are they doing about it? Nothing. He says there's overwhelming evidence that career officials in the Justice Department and FBI obstructed justice by hiding evidence of the Biden family's international corruption. 
what are Attorney General Merrick Garland, the Biden DOJ, and Christopher Wray's FBI doing about it? Nothing. Nothing at all. So again, I won't be surprised when they break down my door pre-dawn someday. I don't think it'll be anytime soon because, again, they, they, they got a lot of bigger fish to fry. But I have no doubt, no doubt whatsoever, that they will eventually get around to me because I can see where this thing is going. In the meantime, there are two ways to support what we do. One way is to go to docwashburn.com and become a patron, chip in a couple of bucks here and there. Another way is if you manage or own a company to be an advertiser. And we appreciate our patrons so much, and we appreciate our advertisers, who are our friends, so much. So much more coming up to talk about. Biden, military prosecutors, negotiating plea deals so 9-11 organizers don't have to get the death penalty? Really? CDC uh, admits it was lying about how dangerous the vaccines are, really? And a whole lot more on the legal wranglings between Trump and the feds around the whole Mar-a-Lago thing, which, of course, is only the latest installment in the ongoing coup that started in 2015. In the meantime, thank you so much to our advertisers. If you try to buy a car recently... You realize there's such a chip shortage, you may have a hard time finding what you're looking for. People I know have actually bought vehicles from hundreds of miles away from where they live. That's where Red River Your Way comes in. Red River Your Way is a big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom, including your freedom to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV the way you want to. You can buy online, and they'll drive it to you no matter where you are. Red River Your Way wants to make your car buying experience as easy and transparent as possible. That's why they've added technology to their website that puts you in complete control of your payment options and allows you to complete the entire purchase process online. But don't worry, Red River experts are still here to help you every step of the way if you have any questions. Red River makes it so easy. As you browse their selection, you'll see each vehicle has a button that says Explore Payment Options on it. Clicking that button guides you through a few easy questions and then create personalized payment options you have complete control over. All you have to do is adjust your preferences, and all the math happens automatically so you can figure out what monthly payment works best for your budget. Red River Your Way makes car buying online easy. Your whole car buying process is completely transparent. If you want to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV, order online from the nationwide car dealer that believes in freedom, the dealer that will deliver your vehicle to your front door no matter where you live, redriveryourway.com. You will be glad you did. All right, let me ask you this. Does your financial advisor take the time to listen and get to know you? Is your financial strategy personalized for you and your family? Will your financial advisor be there as your life and financial situations change? When you work with Jonathan Presswood, 
He focuses on what's important to you. He uses an established process to help you achieve your unique goals, whether that's preparing for retirement, making your money last in retirement, planning your estate or inheritance, preparing for the unexpected, or anything else. Jonathan Presswood can help. Now, what should you do if you leave a job and have a 401k or other retirement plan? Or if you're getting close to retirement or already in retirement? Call my friend, Jonathan Presswood, today. He'll help you create a personalized financial strategy backed by the advice, tools, and resources to help you reach your goals. And he'll partner together with you to help your strategy stay on track no matter what life throws at you. Listen, we can all dream of having a perfect retirement, but how many of us will actually experience it? No matter where you are today, Jonathan Presswood is offering a free retirement analysis to figure out where you'd like to be and what it will take to get you there, and there's no obligation. Contact Jonathan Presswood, a financial advisor with Edward Jones Investments, today at 501-303-4844. Again, that's 501-303-4844. Don't wait. Call Jonathan Presswood today at 501-303-4844. Now, if you're like me, you can't remember phone numbers, go to our website, docwashburnshow.com. Just click on the link to Jonathan Presswood at Edward Jones. Edward Jones, making sense of investing. Member SIPC. All right, thank you very much again to Jonathan Presswood, Edward Jones, financial advisors, our advertiser and our friend. Thank you so much also to Mitch Ward, our friend, our advertiser at Red River Your Way. We appreciate you guys for making it possible for us to do what we do here every day. Can't thank you enough. All right. um, That having been said, got one more clip, a short clip from uh, a journalist, Glenn Greenwald, on with Tucker. This is just a couple of minutes long, but I need to play it for you. As as you should be, you know, it's amazingly ironic. I became a journalist in 2005 in response to the civil liberties abuses justified in the name of the war on terror, where at least there was an actual attack on the United States on 9-11. I thought the threat was exaggerated in order to escalate these civil liberties abuses, but at least there was a real attack. What is the most overlooked part of the Biden administration is that before January 6th, there was an attempt to import that war on terror, that first war on terror, onto domestic soil. Adam Schiff, one of the most authoritarian members of Congress, in addition to being one of the most pathological liars, had legislation pending that would do nothing but take that first war on terror and make it domestic. And you can look at a Wall Street Journal article on November 15th, two months before January 6th, right when Biden was declared the winner, where they said that a top priority of the Biden administration is to reintroduce the war on terror, but this time on domestic soil. So they justify it now in the wake of 1-6, even though before one This was what they were intending to do as a way of criminalizing their opposition and solidifying authoritarian powers on American soil. Do you feel like you're going crazy as, you know, the opposition party is being gutted by the DOJ that nobody is saying anything about this? How can this happen and no one notices? One of the most bizarre things is that skepticism towards the U.S. security state, the CIA, the FBI, the NSA, were longstanding principles of 
left-wing politics in the United States. Yeah. It was a staple of how the American left understood it. If you look at polling data or just the political framework now, where you see reverence for and belief in and applause for the CIA, the DOJ, the FBI, and the NSA is not on the American right, but on the American left. And it's yeah. the American right that has become skeptical of it precisely because it's being ushered in to punish criminal dissent. And that's why they called January 6th an insurrection, even while Biden mocks people and says, Oh, you can't overthrow the U.S. government with your weapons. You need an F-15. Yet they turn around and say 900 people on January 6th is an insurrection. That's what they need to do to criminalize dissent on our soil. Right. And you called that early. There's a reason they're using that word. And to the most rest of us, it was just annoying. But you saw immediately. Yeah, he did. He saw it immediately. Um, yeah, it's... Uh, it's bad. It's really bad. Uh, Benny Thompson is the chair of the uh, January 6th committee. And he had a quote out Monday. He said, the select committee has developed a massive body of evidence. It hasn't always been easy because the same people who drove the former president's pressure campaign to overturn the election are now trying to cover up the truth about January 6th. The great Julie Kelly, American Greatness, responds, TikTok people, this could happen sooner than you think. And if you think this reckless DOJ will abide by some 60-day pre-election rule and not indict Trump within 60 days of the election, you haven't been paying attention. By the way, Benny Thompson was one of the members of Congress to challenge the 2004 presidential election. Just so you know. Just so you know. But down the memory hole. He's acting like it never happened. Julie Kelly wrote a book called January 6th, How Democrats Used the Capitol Protest to Launch a War on Terror Against the Political Right. In which she warned how this was going to escalate. And she says people on the right still think January 6th wasn't an inside job to justify exactly what's happening. They still think this. She says, this never was about four hours on January 6th. It's always been about criminalizing political dissent and silencing criticism of the 2020 election. And she links to a piece that she wrote on January 11th, 2021, just five days after January 6th, called Capital Riot Used to Crush, quote, the big lie, unquote, which is what the Democrats call the idea that Biden stole it, which, of course, he did. And then she says Biden regime, Merrick Garland, Lisa Monaco, number two at DOJ, Matthew Graves, who's U.S. attorney for Washington, D.C., they know they can get away 
with this because Republicans in Washington are so weak, so cowardly, so pathetic, they have no guts to fight back. No guts at all. Again, Mike Davis responding to Tucker Carlson's monologue says, this is truly insane. The Biden regime is out of control. And in response to the New York Times breaking news from Monday, September 12th, in which the Times said, The Justice Department has seized the phones of two Trump aides and issued 40 subpoenas seeking information related to the 2020 election on January 6th. Mike Davis said, Wow, what pretextual predicate crime is the Biden Justice Department using to hunt down and punish their bosses' political enemies? Now, I I had to look up pretextual. I'm not a brilliant legal mind. I, I try to learn all I can as I go through life. Pretextual means done or used as a pretext, a pretended reason for doing something that is used to hide the real reason. Okay? So what pretend predicate crime is the Biden Justice Department using to hunt down and punish their boss, Biden's political enemies. He says it's only a crime to question the outcome of elections in third world Marxist hellholes. This is a clear First Amendment violation. And again, he takes us back to July 26, a couple of weeks Before the Mar-a-Lago raid, okay, let's check this out. He was responding to a Washington Post article saying Justice Department investigating Trump's actions in January 6th criminal probe. And Mike Davis's response back on July 26th to that Washington Post article, he said, frivolous. Legal and political advocacy to object on January 6th is protected by the First Amendment speech, assembly, redress of government. Biden DOJ is setting a dangerous, unconstitutional precedent with this obtuse probe to punish Biden's political rivals. He said, let's be crystal clear. Under no scenario is it a crime to advocate for legal theories, even wacky ones, to, quote, overturn an election, unquote. Political speech protected by the First Amendment, period. Never a crime. To attempt to punish people for this violates constitutional rights. Any attorney, whether in the Biden DOJ or the January 6th committee, who tries to criminalize First Amendment activities must face serious consequences. 
ethics complaint, disbarment proceeding, congressional grilling, red line for government to punish those who question election results, red line for the government to punish those. You're going over the line here, DOJ and January 6th committee. Mike Davis continues, Trump had every right to peacefully rally his supporters on January 6th. They had every right to rally peacefully outside. He had every right to lobby lawmakers to object to the certification, just like Democrats did in 1968 to the Nixon election, in 2000, 2004 to Bush 43, and in 2016 to Trump's election. Democrats illegally used COVID to ignore election laws. They mailed ballots to everyone, even dead people. They got rid of key safeguards like signature verification and observers. Cowardly judges refused to hear evidence. Of course, Trump was ticked off. He should have been. The three categories of protesters, including those who won, follow the rules, even if you think their positions are wrong or even crazy, they're protected. Two, those who trespass have been charged. Three, anybody who's violent is treated more severely. He says, but we can't have different rules based on political views. Check it out. 2016, Hillary falsely claimed Trump colluded with Russians to seal the election. 2016, Hillary spied on Trump's campaign, even his presidency. Obama and Biden colluded with the DOJ to unleash bogus investigation to sabotage Trump, and it led to him being impeached. 2020, Trump pushed his legal options, and the Democrats call an insurrection. Mike Davis continues. He says the same Democrat politicians crying and blaming Trump for the goofballs and grandmas trespassing into the Capitol on January 6th to take selfies on the Senate floor, cheered on Black Lives Matter and Antifa's much more deadly 12 murdered and damaging $2 billion worth of damage in their riots in the summer of 2020, Black Lives Matter and Antifa's. And then Mike Davis says to the Democrats, go to hell. Now, I didn't say it. He said it. I am. I don't want anybody to go to hell, but I understand what he's saying. Mike Davis continues Foliation of evidence. When a party prevents evidence gathering, like banning election observers, we can presume the evidence was bad for them. Misinformation, disinformation, democracy, insurrection. He says, but it's okay when the Biden administration cheers on Democrats' attacks in a separate branch of government. Attorney General Merrick Garland wants to prosecute President Trump for standing by and watching an illegal attack on a separate branch of government, like standing by and watching illegal obstruction of justice campaigns at Supreme Court Justice Holmes, what Garland has done? Here are the responsible Biden Justice Department officials. Number one, Attorney General Merrick Garland. Number two, Deputy Attorney General Lisa Monaco, number three. Assistant Attorney General for the Criminal Division of DOJ, Kenneth Polite, number four. FBI Director Christopher Wray, 
Then the U.S. attorneys. Number five, Matthew Graves, U.S. attorney for D.C. Number six, Jessica Aber, District, uh, U.S. attorney for the Eastern District of Virginia. Number seven, Eric Barron, U.S. attorney for Maryland. So then, we go back to May 5th and Peter Ducey saying to Jen Psaki, when she was still press secretary, about Biden, so he doesn't care if they're protesting outside the Supreme Court or outside of Justice's private residence. Jen Psaki says, I don't have an official U.S. government position on where people protest. Mike Davis says, really? How about Title 18, Section 1507 of the United States Code? which makes it illegal to protest outside federal judges' homes, even if it's peaceful. Mike Davis says it is clearly obstruction of justice under the U.S. Code to send protesters to federal judges' homes to attempt to influence their decisions on pending cases, which is what they did after the Dobbs decision, the draft, was leaked. He says it's also very dangerous, even deadly, to reveal the home addresses of federal judges. He says, again, the Supreme Court must issue its opinion in Dobbs immediately with concurring and dissenting opinions to follow. Well, they waited. They, they took their own sweet time. He says it's felony obstruction of justice to go to a federal judge's home to intimidate that judge to rule your way on a pending case. He says, giving out the home addresses of federal judges is very dangerous, even deadly. The First Amendment isn't absolute. There are time, place, and manner restrictions. Narrowly tailored laws to protect federal judges from intimidation at their homes on pending cases are clearly constitutional. The due process rights of the parties before the court prevail. They can protest in front of the Supreme Court or just about anywhere else, just not at the justices' homes. Got it? He said on May 4th, Mike Davis, it's felony obstruction of justice to go to a federal judge's home to intimidate that judge to rule your way on a pending case. And he tagged the Justice Department, the U.S. Marshal's headquarters, the FBI, the FBI Baltimore office, the FBI Washington field office. He tagged the U.S. attorney for the Eastern District of Virginia and the U.S. attorney for Maryland. But, of course, no one did anything. On May 5th, Mike Davis hearkened us back to September 14th, 2021. He said, September 2021, the Biden Justice Department failed to prosecute protesters who harassed and intimidated Justice Kavanaugh, his wife, and young children at their home. Yes. He said the Biden Justice Department's amnesty led to protesters threatening to harass and intimidate Justice Clarence Thomas and his wife at their home in March of this year. Mike Davis's Article 3 project on May 5th said the Attorney General Merrick Garland needs to step up. He's a former federal judge. He needs to make a very strong public denouncement of this. This is illegal, and the Attorney General and the Deputy Attorney General need to step up. But 
They didn't. They didn't. So, there have uh, been a lot of miscarriages of justice. On May 5th, Mike Davis said thank you to Sandra Smith of Fox for having me join Charles Hurt on America Reports again to discuss the unprecedented and very dangerous leak and threats against the Supreme Court justices over Roe v. Wade. The White House was encouraging these illegal protests in case you forgot. So, in response to uh, Mark Joseph Stern, senior writer at Slate.com, who said, so yeah, the leak investigation, it's a joke. The court's tiny police force has no experience probing internal misconduct. The marshal is not an investigator. She is the person who yells, oh yes, to start the sessions of the court. Anywhere else, this task would fall on the inspector general, but there isn't one. Mike Davis responds to Mark Joseph Stern, reporter at the Slate, by saying, Dear Mr. Stern, when did your spouse quit working for the Supreme Court press shop this year? Before Justice Alito's draft opinion circulated in February? I don't think he got a response. How long has it been since that draft decision leaked? Only a handful of people could have done it. Then again, on May 5th of this year, Mike Davis saying, Dear senior Biden officials, when you leave your government posts, you will lose federal protective details. Please keep this in mind as you do nothing, in fact, even encourage these protests of the justices. There will be protests organized outside of your homes. Mark my word. Wow. Fascinating, isn't it? Fascinating. And on May 7th, he said, in case you missed it from 2020, from the year 2020, Judge Salas released a statement after her son was killed and husband husband was shot in an attack by a lawyer. Did you hear about this? It was on Fox News' website. I'm sure they must have covered it on television. Judge Salas released statement after son killed Husband shot in attack by lawyer. Federal Judge Esther Salas, New York-based U.S. District Judge, speaking publicly for the first time. This was uh, August 3rd, 2020. Since a monster fatally shot her son and wounded her husband, and she believes... She was targeted because of her position and insisted that his death cannot be in vain. In a video released in August 2020, she said that she and her husband, who was in the hospital recovering from the three gunshot wounds, are living every every parent's worst nightmare as they make the necessary plans to bury their 20-year-old son, Daniel Mark Salas, 
who was shot and killed July 19, 2020. At the start of her more than nine-minute video, she said, two weeks ago, my life as I knew it changed in an instant, and my family will never be the same. A madman who I believe was targeting me because of my position as a federal judge came to my house. Our family had just finished a weekend celebration in honor of our son, Daniel Mark, his 20th birthday. She said her son stayed behind that Sunday morning and went back to sleep while she and her husband, defense attorney Mark Anderl, went to church. Later on, they were cleaning their North Brunswick home from the weekend's festivities. Salas said, Daniel and I went downstairs to the basement and we were chatting as we always do. Daniel said, Mom, let's keep talking. I love talking to you. She was trying to hold back the tears. As am I. She said, and it was at that exact moment the doorbell rang and Daniel looked at me and said, who is that? Before she could respond, her young son ran upstairs. She paused and said, within seconds, I heard the sound of bullets and someone screaming no. I later learned that this monster who had a FedEx package in his hand opened fire. But Daniel, being Daniel, protected his father, and he took the shooter's first bullet directly to the chest. Daniel was shot one time in the chest but could not be saved. Mark Andrew has undergone multiple surgeries and is still recovering in an area hospital, Salas said in the video. She said, my family has experienced the pain that no one should ever have to endure. And I'm here asking everyone to help me ensure that no one ever has to experience this kind of pain. Salas' attacker, self-described anti-feminist attorney, Royden Hollander, had a complete dossier on her and the family, including where they lived and even where they went to church. She said, we may not be able to stop something like this from happening again, but we can make it hard for those who target us to track us down. She stressed that not everyone agrees with federal judges' decisions, which will be scrutinized. She said the job requires that they make tough calls, including those that might upset people. She said, unfortunately for my family, the threat was real, and the free flow of information from the Internet allowed this sick and depraved human being to find all our personal information and target us. At the moment, there is nothing we can do to stop it, and that is unacceptable. My son's death cannot be in vain, which is why I'm begging those in power to do something to help my brothers and sisters on the bench now more than ever. We need to identify a solution that keeps the lives of federal judges private. Yeah. Yeah, we do. You know, they arrested a guy who had driven all the way from California to Washington, D.C. His plan was to uh, murder Kavanaugh. They arrested a guy. So, um, there's a lot of illegal and unconstitutional stuff going on. And the regime doesn't care. Biden doesn't, you know, he's, he's way past his expiration date. Mike Davis continued. 
July 21st of this year on, on Twitter, he said, abortion activists organized illegal intimidation tactics at Justice Home. Several were relocated to secure locations. Justice Kavanaugh, his wife, and two daughters faced an assassination attempt. Jennifer Rubin of the Washington Post said they don't get a moat and drawbridge to go with their robes. So she liked the intimidation. And again, Mike Davis mentioned just Judge Esther Salas had her 20-year-old son Daniel murdered and her husband Mark gravely wounded. Very few journalists are being responsible and calling for the end of these deadly obstruction of justice games. Too many journalists are cheering them on. Do they want protests? From July 8th this year, Mike Davis says, no one has a First Amendment right to obstruct justice by harassing or intimidating federal judges over their judicial decisions, whether at their homes, 18 U.S. Code 1507, or in public, 18 U.S. Code 1503. Federal statute of limitations is generally five years. He said, this coming January, the House Republicans must impeach Attorney General Merrick Garland for this dangerous amnesty for those obstructing justice by threatening justices and their families. When Republicans reclaim the White House after 2024, God help us, I hope they do. Mike Davis has more hope on that than I do. The next attorney general must prosecute these crimes. And again, he has the, uh, the, the list of responsible Biden Justice Department officials. Merrick Garland, Lisa Monaco, Kenneth Polite, Christopher Wray, and the three U.S. attorneys. He says, these Biden Justice Department officials may have federal protective details now, but they won't forever. How would they like their homes doxxed and protests organized outside of their homes? How about their kids' schools, their adult kids' and grandkids' homes and schools? Now, he's not calling for it, but he's saying, look, guys, better hope you don't reap what you sow. July 21st, the second time in two weeks, Washington Post opinion columnists have published a piece condoning even cheering on these highly dangerous illegal intimidation campaigns against Supreme Court justices and their families. Again, Mike Davis, going back to July 8th of this year, the opinion column in the Washington Post by Alexandra Petrie, sorry, but the Constitution contains no right to eat dinner, and he asks her, would your husband? Stephen Stromberg, Washington Post editorial writer, covering national policy and politics, climate change, health care, elections. Would your husband and you enjoy being harassed and intimidated at a private dinner? Do you understand this is obstruction of justice? Do you care that Kavanaugh, his wife, and two daughters just faced an assassination attempt at their home. You find that amusing? 
You find that funny? Mike Davis continues. Alexandra Petrie, Washington Post, is the epitome of the D.C. Uniparty elite. Her father served as a Wisconsin congressman, but she grew up in D.C. and attended the National Cathedral School. Naturally, she went to Harvard, then returned to Georgetown, and she writes incoherently for the Washington Post opinion page. He says, does Alexandra Petrie also think it's funny justices had their home addresses doxxed and now face assassination attempts? Does she want protests outside of her home in Georgetown? The first response, a guy named Ron Basilian said, go protest outside her home and see how quickly the FBI shows up. Oh, yeah. No question about it. No question about it. So, I appreciate a fellow like Mike Davis connecting the dots for us. On July 26, he said, for more than a year, Attorney General Merrick Garland put numerous January 6 defendants in pretrial detention, even solitary confinement, awaiting their trials because too many D.C. federal judges are left-wing activists or utter cowards. What the DOJ says they're doing is indeed pretextual, done or used as a pretext for doing something that is used to hide the real reason. There's no question about it. That's what's going on. And they are out of control. They are out of control. As Julie Kelly says, completely out of control. When the New York Times can report on Monday, September 12th, Justice Department issues 40 subpoenas in a week, expanding its January 6th inquiry. Quote, they also requested information about any members of the executive and legislative branches who may have taken part in planning or executing the rally or try to obstruct, influence, impede, or delay the certification of the presidential election, unquote. Julie Kelly says, this is to build the obstruction of an official proceeding indictment I have warned about against President Trump. I've warned it's coming for months. Now, I, I read comments by people on social media saying, well, It uh, looks like they don't have a thing on Trump. Right. They don't have a thing on Trump. They have no evidence he committed any crime. Anything he said it is covered by the First Amendment. But you know what? If you bring charges against him in front of a Washington, D.C. jury, they will be delighted to find him guilty without evidence. This is something Sean Davis said 
right after Sean Davis, not to be confused with Mike Davis, Sean Davis, editor of the Federalist, he said this right after the raid on Mar-a-Lago on August 8th. A D.C. grand jury will proffer criminal charges on Trump. A D.C. regular jury, again, remember, Washington, D.C. voted for Biden 94%. They'll find him guilty no matter what. D.C. Circuit Court will probably uphold it. It will be up to the U.S. Supreme Court to overturn it, and they will be violently attacked. Lord help us. I hope it doesn't happen. I'm not a good predictor. But when I saw Sean Davis saying it, I'm like, well, I mean, what he says makes sense. What he says makes sense. By the way, by the way, Brad Heath reports on goings-on at uh, Washington, D.C. for Reuters on crime and justice. Used to be with USA Today. On Monday, September 12th, 2022, he said, the DOJ Inspector General is laying out quite the cornucopia of misconduct by federal prosecutors today. One sexually assaulted a person on a date. Another drove drunk and kicked the officer's car. Yet another became drunk with foreign government officials. And guess what? None of them will be prosecuted. None of them. Well, I don't know if you noticed, but we have two different standards of justice. in this country under the Biden regime. Two different standards of justice. I, you know what? Been up all night. It is 7.33 a.m. Eastern, 6.33 a.m. Central, 5.33 a.m. Mountain Time, and 4.33 a.m. Pacific Time for those handful of people listening to the live stream. Most of the people listen to the podcast after the fact. But I, I've been up all night, but you know what? I am. I have just scratched the surface. Oh, no. No, there's, there is a lot more. There is a lot more to come. Again, there are two ways to support us. Go to docwashburn.com and become a patron. Or if you own or manage a business, you can talk to us about uh, becoming an advertiser. And we are so appreciative of our friends, our advertisers, for making it possible for us to do what we do here five times a week. Hey, I'd like to help you with some health issues. You have migraines, neck pain, back pain, vertigo, acid reflux, eczema, problems with your blood sugar, maybe even hay fever. Okay, let's do a little test. Look in the mirror. Does one eye look bigger than the other? Are your eyes off balance? Are your shoulders off balance? Look at a picture of yourself. Are you tilting your head to the left or the right instead of sitting up or standing up straight? If the answer to any of these questions is yes, you probably need to get your atlas adjusted. That's how I got rid of my migraines, neck pain, and hay fever. Let me explain to you how it works because it's the best kept secret in American healthcare. Your skull weighs anywhere from 8 to 15 pounds. It rests on the top bone of your spinal column, the atlas, which only weighs 2 ounces. So it's really easy for your atlas to get out of alignment. 
If it does, your whole spinal column can get kinked up like a chain, restricting your central nervous system's ability to send impulses to the rest of your body. It can affect your respiratory system, reproductive system, circulatory system, even digestive system. And yes, it can cause migraines, neck pain, back pain, acid reflux, eczema, vertigo, problems with your blood sugar. Do yourself a favor. If you're in Arkansas, call my friends at the Arkansas Upper Cervical Center, 501-279-2009, for a free consultation to see if you need to get your atlas adjusted, because you probably do. If you're outside central Arkansas, go to their website, turnmypoweron.com, and click on Find a Doctor Near You. And I sure hope you can. Best kept secret in American healthcare: getting your atlas adjusted. Thank you so much to Dr. J.R. Crabtree and his wife, Dr. Tanya Crabtree, our advertisers and friends at TurnMyPowerOn.com. When my wife first got her atlas adjusted, we were walking out of the building. She said, Doc, this is crazy. I said, what? She said, well, the big toe on my left foot has felt numb and tingly for years, and now it feels normal. That afternoon, I was doing my radio talk show. She texted me. She said, hey, guess what? I don't have my... Regular daily backache. A few days later, she said, you know what? I have not had a headache since I got my atlas adjusted. TurnMyPowerOn.com. I said, how often are you used to having headaches? She said, oh, every day. Well, that's a good thing, huh? That's a good thing. TurnMyPowerOn.com. If you've been putting it off, go to the website today. We continue with Mike Davis. Updating now to September 12th, Monday, September 12th, 2022. He says, President Trump's legal team filed an excellent legal brief calling out the Biden Justice Department's political charade. Team Trump is firing on all cylinders. Trump clearly has the winning legal arguments. He says this is going to backfire badly on Biden. The Presidential Records Act is very clear, as Trump's legal team points out. 44 U.S. Code 2205 says the presidential records of a former president shall be available to such former president or the former president's designated representative. That includes classified records. Mike Davis says the Trump legal team does a great job of explaining that the president of the United States has the absolute constitutional and statutory and regulatory power to declassify anything he wants. The Trump legal team puts the dagger through the heart of the Biden DOJ's bogus political charade. Bottom line, President Trump had the absolute constitutional and statutory right to take and maintain all of his records at Mar-a-Lago, classified or declassified. Another hoax. P.S. Presidential records include documents created or received by the president and his staff. Guess what this includes? Documents the president receives from government agencies, classified or non-classified. See 44 U.S. Code 2201. Game over, Biden. Now, 
Before I get to Jeff Clark's response, because Jeff Clark was the gentleman that I interviewed on episode 220. Mike Davis was the gentleman I interviewed on episode 225. Jeff Clark was assistant U.S. attorney general for two divisions of the DOJ simultaneously under President Trump. So before I get to Jeff Clark's response, because it's a doozy, again, Mike Davis says, Attorney General Merrick Garland leaked the fact that he deliberated for weeks before ordering the unprecedented, unnecessary, and unlawful home raid on President Trump. So why didn't Merrick Garland walk down the hall to get an opinion from the Office of Legal Counsel, the OLC? Because he wouldn't have liked the answer. Got it? Jeff Clark says, Mike Davis, look at 44 U.S. Code 2205. Congress can put out the records, so imagine the Republicans win the House of Representatives taking control on January 3rd. They could quickly release the documents, potentially mooting any ability to prosecute Trump. This may explain the Justice Department's rush to indict. Wow. Yeah, it may. It certainly may. So, there is so much. There is so much here. And we're just getting started. So, You know, Biden said in the midst of the dark days following September 11th, we found a true sense of national unity. Julie Kelly says, when Biden says unity, he means compliance and submission. When he talks about protecting the future of democracy on September 11th, he's again confirming his regime's war on terror against the right. Got it? She continues by saying political violence is okay if you burn cities, attack police and loot businesses after the death of George Floyd, torment Supreme Court justices at restaurants and outside their homes, shut down areas of Portland and Seattle, or threaten senators during the Kavanaugh confirmation. She says this linking to Hillary Clinton's statement to Dana Bash of CNN, who asked her, what's going through your mind today, 21 years later? And here Hillary is comparing us to Al-Qaeda. Well, Dana, um, every uh, time we approach September 11th, I do think about everything that I saw, all the people that I met, the families of those who lost loved ones, so it is indelibly um, part of my uh, memories, and I feel grateful that um, 
we were able to come together as a country at that really terrible time. We put aside differences. I wish we could find ways of doing that again. We rebuilt New York. Uh, we have done our best to take care of the families that lost so much on that terrible day. And we have also, I think, um, been reminded um, about how important it is uh, to try to deal with extremism of any kind, uh, especially when it uses violence to try to achieve political and ideological uh, goals. So I'm one who thinks that uh, there are lessons still to be learned from what happened to us on 9-11 that we should be very aware of uh, during this time in our country and the world's history. She compares us to Al-Qaeda. Don't think this isn't coordinated. Don't think she's not read in on what the Biden regime DOJ is doing. Julie Kelly continued, when rioters burned parts of D.C. during Trump's inauguration January 20th, 2017, an entire organization coordinated the violent protests. No one declared domestic violent extremists were a threat. To the contrary, all charges were dropped. Oh, yeah. She said, I safely assume no one on this side is worried Kamala Harris can do anything competently, least of all handle a real war against half the country. If anything, the right should have some solace in realizing the stupidity and incompetence of this regime. Yeah, but we don't. We don't. Again, the Democrats push back against the Electoral College vote in 2016. Julie Kelly reminds us it was a coordinated effort led by John Podesta to bully Trump electors into switching. Not a dumb stunt, far worse. Far worse. So, it's just remarkable. Tom Fitton says, well, he said on Sunday, September 11th, today we learned Biden operation raided Trump's home while negotiating plea deals with 9-11 terrorists. Yeah, we'll... Uh, We'll get to that for sure. Jeff Clark, I interviewed him, episode 220, former U.S. Assistant Attorney General under Trump, says there are strategies within strategies to defeat Trump in 2024 or to blunt him even if he does win, starting a new administration in 2025. One of those strategies is to attack any lawyer seen as a Trump ally so that no lawyer wants to enter a second Trump term. And he links to an article from something, I, I'm not familiar with this website, DNYUZ. 
Well, no, let's find out what it's about. DNYUZ. Apparently, it is a uh, news site that is based in New York City. Article entitled, For Trump's Lawyers, Legal Exposure Comes with a Job. A dark joke has begun circulating among lawyers following the many legal travails of former President Donald J. Trump. MAGA actually stands for Making Attorneys Get Attorneys. Over six years and nine major investigations by Congress, the Justice Department, and local prosecutors, as Mr. Trump has managed to avoid removal from the presidency and indictment, it has become clear that serving as one of his lawyers is a remarkably risky job and one that can involve considerable legal exposure. Time after time, his attorneys have been asked to testify as witnesses to potential crimes or evaluated as possible criminal conspirators themselves. Wow. Yeah, this is insane. No, no, I, I got to share it with you. It's rather extended, but I, you know, this is a big deal. While the consequences... His lawyers faced were extraordinary when Mr. Trump was in the White House. The dangers have only intensified since he left office and have become increasingly acute in recent weeks. Now, this was written Saturday, September 10th. As the former president has come under scrutiny in two different Justice Department investigations and has been forced yet again to find lawyers willing to represent him. Last week, a Justice Department filing revealed that Mr. Trump's lawyers had misled federal investigators about whether he had handed over to the Justice Department all the class. Oh, shut up. It showed no such thing. He can declassify anything he wants. I mean, I take seriously the idea that his lawyers are being persecuted. But you got to push back on the narrative. You have to. Jeff Clark says, or as a fallback, even if some lawyers are still willing to, despite being blacklisted by big law, they will plop into chairs inert and stayed rather than act energetically to reform the deep state. Chill the lawyers. This is why Project 65 exists. And he links to an article over at Darren J. Beatty's Revolver.News. From March 29th of this year, Project 65 seeks to kill all the Trump lawyers by canceling them. The progressive left's latest move to destroy America. Oh, my. Yeah, that's bad. Looks like a David Brock operation. And it is definitely an article written by Jeffrey Clark. That's bad stuff, man. Bad stuff. So, Chuck Todd asked Vice President, I can't call it Vice President, they stole it. Chuck Todd, meet the press, asked Kamala Harris, the usurper. He said, we're now as a nation 
battling a threat from within is the threat equal or greater than what we faced after 9-11. He's talking about you and me here, by the way, just so you know. He's also equating us with al-Qaeda, just like Hillary did. Kamala Harris responds, there is an oath that we always take, which is to defend and uphold our Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. The great talk show host out of Houston, Jesse Kelly, says, we're going to need that national divorce really soon. Unless you think you're going to enjoy being an enemy of the state for just having an SUV, having guns, and attending church. Yeah. Yeah. No, look, I just, I report to you what people are a lot sharper than I say. Representative Paul Gosar, Arizona, says, the January 6th political prisoners are still rotting in jail with limited access to basic necessities the civil rights abuses being inflicted on them reflect a third world political system. Free the January 6th political prisoners and never forget Ashley Babbitt. Amen, brother. One of the few, one of the few members of Congress willing to speak up for these people. Jesse Kelly again says, remember when the FBI found out Larry Nassar was raping every female gymnast in the country and they covered it up? Julie Kelly responded, remember when Attorney General Bill Barr declined to prosecute the FBI agents involved in botching the investigation and lying about it? Sure do. Sure do. I mean, I hate to uh, sound like I'm beating a dead horse, but again, the FBI must be dismantled. It's not just the leaders. Breitbart reports social media giant Snap you know, like Snapchat, reportedly made a supposed error that gave leading Democrat campaigns and party committees access to a huge repository of Republican voter data, allowing them to tailor their midterm ads. The great Jeff Carlson over the Epic Times says, Was this the same sort of error that led Facebook to give Obama's campaign full access to their entire databases? Asking as a a citizen who's truly worried about our republic, he says, the GOP has done nothing to stop this. Nothing. They don't represent you. It's time they were held accountable. I honestly don't know what the answer is, but I know it doesn't reside with the leadership of the GOP. That's right, brother. It does not reside with the leadership of the GOP. 
Um, you know, I, I hate having to share with you things that may infuriate you. But sometimes I have to. Sometimes I have to. Don't blame the messenger, you know. Um, remember Catherine Herridge? She was a tremendous investigative reporter who worked for Fox News for a really long time. And a few years ago, she went over to CBS, which really surprised people. But she still does a great job over at CBS. I don't know how she's allowed to. Because she just uh, is always following the facts wherever they lead, you know. I mean, 99% of the time. But somehow or another, she and CBS came to an agreement, and she left Fox News and went to CBS. So anyway. Kind of like when Major Garrett left Fox News and went to CBS. Remember him? Yeah, I think he was a White House reporter for a long time with Fox News, and he went to CBS. I don't understand how all that stuff works. I'm not a journalist. But I try to bring you the truth. Anyway, so we've got a report here from Catherine Herridge on the CBS morning show. Monday morning, about the fact that Biden's military prosecutors are working plea deals with the uh, September 11th organizers so that they won't get the death penalty. Plea bargain deals. This is going to upset you. I'm furious about it. I don't know what I can do about it, but I don't know if anybody else has told you about this, but that's my job. So here it is. No, for all those of you who've lost someone, 21 years is both a lifetime and no time at all. It's good to remember. These memories help us heal, but they can also open up the hurt and take us back to that moment when the grief was so raw. Which is exactly what he and his handlers want to do. That was President Joe Biden marking the 21st anniversary of the September 11th attacks at the Pentagon yesterday. He laid a wreath and vowed never to forget the lives of those we lost and their families. However... Yesterday, as I mentioned, 21 years since the attacks that killed nearly 3,000 Americans on U.S. soil. The First Lady attended a service in Shanksville, Pennsylvania, while the Vice President was at the ceremony in New York City. Five defendants, all held at the military prison in Guantanamo Bay, Cuba, were formally charged in 2008 with helping to plan the attack. But their cases have stalled over access to CIA evidence and recently over COVID delays. 
senior investigative correspondent Catherine Harris joins us now from the Pentagon with new developments on this. Uh, Catherine, good morning. The, the, the memory of 9-11 is strong, but the search for justice remains in terms of putting people uh, on trial and getting those charges to stick. Where are we on that front? And good morning to you. Good morning, Tony. CBS News has confirmed that military prosecutors and defense attorneys are negotiating potential plea deals that could take the death penalty off the table for the five defendants accused in the 9-11 attacks. She's not going to say they confirmed it if they didn't confirm it. I'm just telling you, Catherine Herridge is a stand-up reporter. And she breaks news. He was living his dream. Pilot Charles Burlingame was more than a war hero to his family, who affectionately called him Chick. Yeah, here he is. Here. Before the anniversary, his sister, Deborah Burlingame, shared his story at New York's 9-11 memorial. He was really our touchstone. And it was, he still is. On 9-11, Al-Qaeda terrorists took over Burlingame's American Airlines Flight 77, slamming it into the Pentagon. We didn't have remains for weeks. We were constantly saying to each other, what would Chick want? What would Chick do? But her grief has turned to anger. I was outraged. After learning a potential plea deal is under discussion for the five 9-11 defendants held at this military base in Guantanamo Bay, Cuba, including Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, the self-described architect of 9-11. Yeah, see, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, in my humble opinion, um... needs to be either hung or face the firing squad and needs to be buried in pig skin. That's the thing that would terrify one of these guys, you know. But that's uh, that's what he needs. It'll never happen. But that's what he needs. There's a story about uh, in the early 1900s when there were uh, Muslim terrorists active in the Philippines. I don't know if the story is historically accurate or just uh, apocryphal, but the story goes that General Jack Pershing... um, when he defeated a bunch of the terrorists, I think he used bullets that were dipped in pig's blood or something like that, and he let one go to go tell the rest what he had done, and that kind of took care of that. But Anyway, here's the rest of the Catherine Herridge's report on the CBS Morning Show Monday morning. This is outrageous. You're in touch with other 9-11 families. Do they feel the same way? The families are outraged, and they don't want closure. They want justice. But another group, September 11th, Families for Peaceful Tomorrows, believes a plea deal could deliver some measure of judicial finality. All five defendants and the government are all engaged in good faith negotiations. That's one of the lawyers for the defendants. Good faith negotiations. It is impossible to negotiate in good faith with Islamic jihadists. So that's a lie because their holy book 
tells them to deceive and to lie to us. Kafir. That's a word for unbelievers, for infidels. We're the kafirs. So they are to lie to us and to deceive us. They are taught from the cradle that Allah is the great deceiver. Just so you know. No, 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 sir. No, sir. I reject the narrative. There are no good faith negotiations. That's like saying that uh, the knuckleheads from our State Department are conducting good faith negotiations with the mullahs of Iran. Uh, No, there's no good faith there. With the idea of bringing this trial, which has become a forever trial, to an end. Hey, we're at war with these people. Biden isn't, but our country is. So let, let, let the trial go on forever. I don't care. Lawyer James Cannell's team represents 9-11 defendant Amar al-Baluchi. See, I told you. He's a defense attorney. So he's trying to pre- present his, uh, his client... The terrorist, the jihadist, in, in a positive light. He's willing to plead guilty to a substantial sentence at Guantanamo in exchange for a guarantee of medical care. He's got medical care. And dropping the death penalty. Before their transfer to Guantanamo Bay in 2006, the five 9-11 defendants were held by the CIA and interrogated. Critics call the extreme tactics torture. The one that has had perhaps the most lasting physical impact was what they called walling. Alka Pradhan is a human rights attorney for the 9-11 defense team. He had told us that his head was bashed against a wall repeatedly until he saw sparks. Oh, and of course, a mass murderer... An Islamic jihadist would never lie about anything. Again, I reject the narrative. I reject the narrative. They live to lie to infidels. So, you know, too bad. Fainted. Nearly 3,000 people died on 9-11. Is it right to take the death penalty off the table? The United States government failed all of us after September 11th in their decisions to use illegal techniques and illegal programs. In doing so... You don't know what they did because all you have is the word of mass murderers. That's like taking Charles Manson's word for something. Or Richard Speck, or Ted Bundy, Jeffrey Dahmer. You want me to keep going? Ridiculous. Irrevocably corrupted the, any legal process that could have taken place. I think you're irrevocably uh, corrupt myself, but that's uh, just me. Yeah. Just one guy's opinion. A spokesman for the military trials did not answer our questions, but confirmed the parties are currently engaged in preliminary plea negotiations, citing recent court filings. I will not have closure as long as there is any possibility for some future president to commute their sentences or trade them away. Charles Chick Burlingame was laid to rest at Arlington National Cemetery. I do believe that forgiveness is more powerful than love. But it's earned. They never will have that. And whether you agree or disagree with her or not, you know why she's saying it. Because they have no remorse. In their minds, they are soldiers of Allah. And they are following the very clear exhortations in the Quran to kill infidels. That's what it's all about. But again, willful blindness. 
They, they can't. Our leaders cannot admit that. If a plea deal goes ahead and the 9-11 defendants get lengthy sentences, there is a law in place that blocks their transfer to U.S. soil and federal custody. That means the Guantanamo prison could be open indefinitely, Tony. Now, someone said, and I wish I could remember who it was. Do you get a certain age where you remember conversations, but you can't remember who you had them with? Or you remember somebody made a point? You know, you're watching the news or you know, read an article and you can't remember who it was. Anyway, someone said that this could be, if they commute the, 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 these guys, they do a plea bargain, so they agree to not do the death penalty. This could be a backdoor way we're trying to get rid of the death penalty in the United States because if they agree to let these guys not get the death penalty in exchange for a guilty verdict, then they're going to be defense attorneys all over this country saying, look, you're talking about the death penalty for my client? We just saw the 9-11 perpetrators? Do a plea deal to avoid it? Really? That's a, I mean, are you kidding me? You've got to be kidding me. So that's, that's a possibility. That's a serious possibility. Now, um, Steve Bannon spoke to a crowd. And there was a time in my life and perhaps a time in your life in which someone saying the kinds of things that Bannon says in this little 30-second clip would sound like some kind of nut some kind of conspiracy theorist. But the problem is the conspiracies keep on coming true. You know, you, you don't want to be thought of as a conspiracy theorist, but they, they, they keep, they keep proving true. And that's, uh, that's problematic. So Bannon said this on Monday, September 12th. The administrative state is the number one enemy. Every one of you in this audience, every... The administrative state is the number one enemy to every one of you in this audience. Every one of you in this audience is nothing but a pauper. You know why you're a pauper? Because the Federal Reserve, the oligarchs on Wall Street, the oligarchs in, in Silicon Valley, and the Uniparty in Washington, D.C. Don't ask me. Look at your own lived experience. Today, go home and look at your bank account. See what inflation is doing to you. See, what, see what's happening to your capital markets. You're all in bondage. And the populist nationalist movement offers you freedom. And we are not about to back down. Okay. Okay. Cash Patel, former 
chief of staff to the Secretary of Defense. Before that, he worked for U.S. Representative Devin Nunes, who discovered the Crossfire Hurricane plot to try to take out Trump. Cash Patel. Speaking with uh, Jan Yeleniak. Hope I got his last name right. Over the EpicTimes.com, Cash Patel made an alarming point of how early the FBI knew that the Steele dossier was bogus, so there was never an excuse to investigate Trump, never an excuse to have that 22-month Mueller investigation, for that matter. Check it out. The other thing that I found very surprising from this motion to dismiss was the revelation um, in court pleadings by the Denchenko team that the FBI knew the Steele dossier was total BS in January of 2017. Now, that is a slip of the tongue. I believe he meant January 2016, which is what he says later. Igor Danchenko is a guy who uh, John Durham, special counsel John Durham, is uh, scheduled to bring to trial next month. And in Danchenko's motion to dismiss the charges against him, he's mentioning, oh, by the way, the FBI knew the Steele dossier was bogus. Here's the rest. I just want our viewers to pause on that for a second. You now have the source, the number one source of the Steele dossier pleading in federal court during a criminal investigation of him telling the world and the judge, essentially under oath, that the Steele dossier was BS, I was its main source, and I told the FBI that in January of 2016. Now look, go back and look at all the Cassius Corner episodes from Russiagate, and we'll tell you, we've told you repeatedly why we knew, or why we believe the FBI knew that to be the case. But now you have, I mean, this is sort of unheard of, Jan, you actually have the FBI's number one source coming forward and sort of shoving it in their face. That revelation to me will hopefully educate so many people about why the connections between Russiagate are still ongoing, why the corruption is so deep, and why people in the FBI must be held accountable for lying to a federal court back then utilizing the Steele dossier falsely to surveil a president or a presidential candidate at the time. So have I mentioned before that the FBI must be dismantled? I mean, one more reason right there. One more reason. They were out to get Trump one way or another. So, this brings us to amgreatness.com, American Greatness, article by Christopher Roach from September 8th, entitled, For the Deep State, Trump Was Never President. He says, there is something peculiar going on with the post-facto attempts to justify the search of Donald Trump's home. At first, we were told that he had purloined 
American nuclear secrets, complete with rank speculation that he sold them to the highest bidder. Then the magistrate who authorized the search warrant ordered the release of a highly redacted supporting affidavit. The affidavit said nothing about nuclear secrets and also had no specificity about the documents being sought. Rather, it showed that the whole affair arose from a spat with the National Archives, the presidential equivalent of overdue library books. When the FBI raided Mar-a-Lago, evidently they took everything, including personal effects, passports, and a large number of sensitive documents, protected by attorney-client privilege. In a separate lawsuit brought by Trump, another federal judge appointed a special master to review the seized documents. This decision implicitly recognized that Trump's claims of executive privilege may have some weight. Well, the judge hasn't appointed the special master yet. She just said there's going to be one. Anyway, the article continued. After this, the leaks changed. The leakers dropped the nonsense about American nuclear secrets and said instead... Trump possessed a report about an unnamed nation's nuclear capability. So the seized documents have two fates at once. They are at once so secret that they justify an unprecedented imposition on a former president, and they're simultaneously fully suitable for being leaked and discussed in the pages of the Washington Post. One may recall that during the Obama years, the administration went hard against leaks, including subpoenaing phone records, and other documents from reporters whose stories suggested access to classified information. Here, though, there has been no substantial effort to identify the leaker. Whoever's talking to the Washington Post is likely someone very high up, and the leaks are being made with the White House's blessing. Because of the leaks and their earlier track record, it's hard to take the critics and their claimed concern for national security seriously. They told us for years about the other shoe that would drop on Russiagate. The cloud created by these investigations hurt Trump and the nation for more than half of his term in office. But it turned out the foundations of these investigations was completely made up. There was no evidence of Russian collusion or compromising information about Trump. Worse, FBI Director James Comey and Special Counsel Robert Mueller knew early on the Steele dossier was full of lies and concocted by the Hillary campaign, but they kept that information to themselves. Well, you know, this dovetails with Cash Patel. You just heard him saying moments ago. These tall tales were the pretextual reason for a two-year distracting and defamatory investigation of the president. Biden and partisan Democrats insist on the propriety of the recent raid of Mar-a-Lago, but there's been a substantial public backlash, and the documents supporting the raid do not match the gravity of the initial reporting. After all, Trump could share, use, or declassify anything he wanted in any manner he wanted as president. While in office, he was privy to the most sensitive secrets imaginable. Whatever he learned then, he still knows today. Just as important, he remains the former president entitled by law to a staff, Secret Service protection, and national security briefings. 
Trump was an enemy of business as usual and had a unique everyman style, and they hated him for it. Members of the executive branch, whose power is on loan from the president, imagine themselves to be part of the Constitution's system of checks and balances, accountable only to the hive mind of Washington, D.C. At first, they said he stole the 2016 election through Russian collusion. Once he was in office, they treated him as an interloper and continued to obstruct him in the name of middle-brow career government worker ideology. Recall Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman's peons to the so-called interagency process. During his presidency, military subordinates lied to Trump and sabotaged his plans. The civilian bureaucracy made a virtue of being the resistance, and he was harried for most of his term by FBI investigations and plots among the intelligence services. The contrast between the unelected government's treatment of Trump and Biden is manifest. General Mark Milley was all broken up about supposedly being used for a photo op when Trump visited a riot-scarred Lafayette Square across from the White House. Today, Milley has no problem with two Marines flanking Joe Biden in an extreme partisan speech just the other day. This is why the establishment has lost it after Judge Eileen Cannon's ruling on a special master. While critics have suggested she is a partisan whose decision was poorly reasoned, their real complaint is that Judge Cannon treated Trump as an ordinary former president. As a consequence, the special master's review will focus not only on legal privilege but also executive privilege. Her decision referenced relevant Supreme Court president, which contradicts the Biden administration's dangerous claim to have the power to waive the executive privilege of its predecessor. Ultimately, she ruined the Department of Justice's plans to be the fox guarding the hen house by having their own personnel do a re review of material protected by attorney-client and executive privilege. If the military, the Justice Department, and the deep state would not treat Trump as president while he was in office, they certainly won't give him deference as a former president today. The current persecution of Trump is designed to keep him from becoming president again. Like his persecution during his presidency, the process is distracting and expensive and staged to embarrass and humiliate him regardless of the outcome. If Trump is arrested, which I think is increasingly likely after Biden's speech last week, they hope to use the optics of an arrest as an additional basis to prevent his re-election in 2024. They will also use his supporters' angry reaction as well as any excesses to further demonize and crack down upon what they call mega-Republicans. How the deep state, the media, and the current president have treated Trump reveals that all the pious talk of, quote, our democracy, unquote, is a pretext and a lie. For four years, they bent and broke every rule in the book in order to keep the people's choice from governing. Today, they are breaking every rule to prevent him from becoming president again. This is the very opposite of democracy. That is Christopher Roach, an adjunct fellow of the Center for American Greatness and an attorney in private practice in Florida over at amgreatness.com, 
article entitled, For the Deep State, Trump Was Never President. Yeah. That's the way they look at it, isn't it? Indeed it is. Now, I got to go back to Mike Davis for a moment. Barbara McQuaid, legal analyst for MSNBC, said the DOJ has given Judge Cannon a semi-face-saving option by asking her to carve out classified documents from the special master's review. Assessment of damage to our national security requires FBI access to these documents. Judge should run to take this option. Mike Davis says, nonsense. President Trump declassified these records and he lawfully kept them in the office of former president, which is a government office. He says, question, why is Biden so terrified that a neutral court-appointed special master will check his DOJ's homework? Answer, because they're hiding crossfire hurricane records. Stephen Miller responded, a Trump consultant, a Trump advisor, responded, the government does not want anyone to see the documents because it would reveal their entire scheme to be a dastardly hoax. For example, if the government illicitly purloins a declassified record from President Trump that paints them in a poor light, their remedy is to never reveal the contents. Mike Davis said, fact check, true. You know, I I, I read somewhere that men do their evil deeds in darkness and they don't want to come into the light because the light would reveal their darkness. They want it concealed. Mike Davis says, again, the president has absolute constitutional power as commander-in-chief to declassify anything. See, Navy versus Egan. That was Supreme Court case, which said so. He also has sole statutory power under Presidential Records Act to take his records, even classified, when he leaves office. See the Clinton sock drawer case. Mike Davis continues. It is legally impossible for Trump to obstruct justice as the Biden DOJ didn't have the power to investigate non-crimes. See the DOJ Office of Legal Counsel memo on the Mueller probe. He says this is a political hit on Trump to get back his declassified crossfire hurricane records which are damning for Obama, Biden, Hillary, the FBI, and the intel community. That's right. That is absolutely the case. Oh, apropos of nothing in particular, the great Jack Posobiec, Editor of HumanEvents.com says, Did you know the 28 pages in the 9-11 report, the 28 pages that Bush didn't want to make public and Barack Obama promised he would and then when he got elected he didn't and finally a federal judge ordered them to be public. Those 28 pages show that 
two 9-11 hijackers tied to Saudi intelligence rented a room from an FBI informant in California before the 9-11 attacks. Did you know that? You know the name of the FBI director who kept that covered up for years? Robert Mueller. Robert Mueller. So, um, in response to Fox News saying U.S. prosecutors may negotiate plea deal with 9-11 architect Khalid Sheikh Mohammed and other conspirators, Mike Davis responded, Biden Justice Department leaks on 9-11. They want to negotiate a plea agreement with 9-11 terrorists who killed 3,000 Americans almost. This should be the plea offer. Number one, electric chair. Number two, firing squad. Or number three, public hanging. Or number four, Washington Post opinion writer. And he has a screenshot from when we took out the head of ISIS. Remember what the Washington Post said about him? Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, austere religious scholar at helm of Islamic State, dies at 48. He was a massive terrorist, a mass murderer, but they said he was an austere religious scholar. Well, now, wait a minute. I thought we were supposed to say that the jihadists weren't really Muslims. They're twisting the great religion of peace, right? Let's sink in. Axios reported on September 11th, Homeland Security Chief Alejandro Mayorkas warned of threats posed by individuals in the U.S. radicalized to violence by ideologies of hate, anti-government sentiment, false narratives propagated on online platform, even personal grievances. Mike Davis says, let's get this straight. On 9-11, the Biden administration is publicly targeting what they call ultra-mega Trump supporters while negotiating plea deals with 9-11 terrorists who killed almost 3,000 Americans. Yep. That's what they're doing. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but I got to tell you, the great Margot Cleveland legal specialist over at the, the Federalist.com has the thread on Twitter talking about Trump's brief in opposition to the motion for stay helps frame what I see as the key question, assuming there was no obstruction, which given the DOJ's leaks, I think is a fair assumption. She says, this excerpt to me is key because it highlights two different kinds of records, those falling under the Presidential Records Act and those falling under the Federal Records Act. Documents fit one or the other category. So she's got the screenshot from Trump's attorney's motion. It says, all government records, classified or otherwise, fall into two basic categories, either under the Presidential Records Act or the Federal Records Act. The Federal Records Act defines a class of materials that are federal records subject to its provisions, and the Presidential Records Act describes another mutually exclusive set of materials that are subject to a different, less rigorous regime. In other words, no individual record can be subject to both statutes because their provisions are inconsistent. And they cite a 1993 case, Armstrong versus Executive 
office of the president. Okay. So Margot Cleveland says presidential records are specifically defined as follows and excludes both personal records and official records of an agency. And she has a, a long screenshot that I won't trouble you with from Trump's filing, but I uh, do recommend you take a look at it. She says, instead, official records of an agency are covered by the Federal Records Act, and they define the Federal Records Act. She says, so here's the interesting part from today's filing on September 12th. Trump's team argues all of the records at issue are either presidential records or personal records. But why isn't it possible that instead they are federal records? Well, they can't be logically because they would be copies. They'd have to be copies since they weren't created by Trump. If they were, they'd be presidential or personal. And by definition, they aren't presidential since they came from another agency unless he wrote on them while president, which is another issue. The question I've said was key from day one was, were these copies? They must have been unless they were presidential or personal records. So while at first I thought, um, no, they could be federal records, I was wrong. The question is, are they presidential or personal? And the convenience copies for Trump are not presidential, so they are personal, whether marked classified or not. Is that nuts? Maybe. But that seems to be the law, and since the law regarding classified documents does not apply to president, as Trump's lawyers pointed out, there was no crime. So Biden's DOJ had to create one. And this discussion assumes some were still classified. Wow. Fascinating. So a guy named Noel Cook, don't know anything about him. He says, sensing a pattern here, Spygate. Remember Spygate? So first of all, you fabricate allegations. Then you open up, you leak, you investigate pushback as obstruction. That's how they got Nixon. We're reminded daily. Sensing a pattern. Then Mueller, ditto. See volume two. Fabricate allegations, open up, leak, investigate pushback as obstruction. Impeachment number one, ditto. Records gate, which is what we got now, ditto. Fabricate allegations, open up, leak, investigate pushback as obstruction. That's what they do. That's what they do. Yeah. It's what they do. Now, the great Robert Spencer has an article at pjmedia.com entitled, Biden's 9-11 speech was an ominous socialist dog whistle. He says, old Joe Biden's 9-11 speech at the Pentagon Sunday was a predictable melange of false piety, feigned emotion, and paper resolve. 
The world will little note nor long remember what he said there, and deservedly so. And to his or her credit, the ostensible president's speechwriter resisted the temptation to go even lower than usual and liken supporters of Donald Trump to the 9-11 hijackers. This was not, however, due to some sudden restoration of patriotism and fair play in the Biden White House. A decision was apparently made to cloak the attack on half the nation in more subtle tones than those Joe employed in his disgraceful black and red speech of September 1st in Philly. But the attack was unmistakably reiterated. Old Joe self-righteously admonished his hapless audience by saying, it's not enough to gather and remember each September 11th those we lost more than two decades ago, because on this day, it's not about the past. It's about the future. Oh, yeah? How's that, Joe? By protecting the nation against future jihad terror attacks? By vetting the huge numbers of unvetted Afghan evacuees you brought into the country? By bringing some sanity to the southern border at which people on the terror watch list are frequently apprehended? with an unknowable number who have gotten through? Come on, man. Biden didn't, of course, mean any of that. He continued, we have an obligation, a duty, a responsibility to defend, preserve, and protect our democracy, the very democracy that guarantees the rights and freedom that those terrorists on 9-11 sought to bury in the burning fire and smoke and ash. Ah, yes, 9-11 is not about the past, it's about the future in which we have to protect our democracy, so-called. Protect it from whom, Joe? The answer to that is blazingly obvious. In his September 1st speech, declaring war against half the nation, he complained that MAGA Republicans look at the mob that stormed the United States Capitol on January 6th, brutally attacking law enforcement. Not as insurrectionists who placed a dagger to the throat of our democracy, but they look at them as patriots. Biden noted approvingly that Federal Circuit Court Judge Michael Luddig has called Trump and the extreme MAGA Republicans, quote, a clear and present danger to our democracy. So the implication is clear. On September 11th, 2001, Biden said enemies of our democracy try to bury our rights and freedoms in the burning fire and smoke and ash. And now... Biden says we must fight against the insurrectionists who placed a dagger to the throat of our democracy and their friends and allies who look at them as patriots. Like Kamala Harris, old Joe was likening the 9-11 jihad terrorists who murdered nearly 3,000 people to his legitimate political opposition in the United States today. Joe's speechwriter just did it a bit more subtly. Continuing his dog whistles to the authoritarian socialist left, Biden called on them to work to defeat these enemies of the state. Quote, And that takes a commitment on the part of all of us, dedication, hard work every day. For always remember, the American democracy depends on the habits of the heart of we the people. That's how our Constitution, we the people the habits of hearts of we the people. The transcript wonks at whitehouse.gov 
cleaned up Joe's speech at several points, but apparently by this time the exhausted editor had given up and left That's How Our Constitution We the People in all its incoherent glory. Joe called for dedication and commitment. The supporters of Trump have to be faced down on a daily basis. He said it's not enough to stand up for democracy once a year or every now and then. It's something we have to do every single day. Well, how, Joe? How will his friends and allies in Antifa and Black Lives Matter hear these words? Will we see an uptick in the political violence he professes to abhor, but to which he will turn a blind eye, as always, because if it comes from the left, not from the patriots, then it's okay, right? The phrase, our democracy, is so frequently used by leftists now that it's easy just to let it go by unremarked upon. But no one should do so. By our democracy, Biden and his henchmen do not mean our actual republic, but the empire of their political, social, economic, and cultural control. That's what he called on his supporters to fight for on September 11th, 2022. So you better buckle up. That is the great Robert Spencer over at pjmedia.com. The article entitled, Biden's 9-11 speech was an ominous socialist dog whistle. Newsmax.com says DOJ issues 40 subpoenas, seizes phones from top Trump aides over January 6th probe. Yeah, that's messed up, man. That's messed up. But um, I don't see it slowing down, do you? Again, Mike Davis says, What an amazing coincidence. The Biden Justice Department and the Senate Judiciary Democrats decide to simultaneously open several investigations on Trump based on events from two years ago, just in time to try to influence the 2022 midterm elections. How about that? Yeah, what, what an amazing coincidence. So breaking news as we're doing the live stream, Fox News reports inflation rose 8.3% in August as price gains slow but remain painfully high. Mike Davis responds, hence the Biden Justice Department and Senate Judiciary Democrats intend to divert your electoral attention to Trump's non-crimes from two years ago, instead of Biden's catastrophic presidency. Yeah. Yeah. Attorney and columnist Elad Hakim, regular guest over on uh, OAN, says, as the midterms approach, Democrats raid Trump's house, subpoena over 40 of Trump's supporters, and launch additional politicized investigations into Trump and all things Trump-related. This is a party desperate to turn attention away from its many failures. Libs of TikTok has video, security video from just a regular restaurant in Los Angeles, newly released footage of a May robbery shows two men being robbed at gunpoint while eating at a restaurant in Los Angeles. Welcome to California. 
And it's from uh, foxla.com. I actually have the, uh, the link to the article for foxla.com. Newly released video from a May 24th robbery shows two suspects armed with handguns rob a pair of victims who were dining at a restaurant in L.A. Police said one of the suspects has been arrested in connection with a string of statewide robberies. Mike Davis responded, saying, hopefully they were quadruple vaccinated. Otherwise, that could have been deadly. Yes, yes, indeed. The great Kyle Lamb, who does data and research on the communications team for Governor Ron DeSantis, says, one side wants to let criminals out of jail, put pornography in school libraries, take kids to drag queen shows, censor social media dissent, claim men can become pregnant, mutilate genitalia of minors, keep parents out of education, and weaponize the government. The other side is full of extremists. Yep. That's what they would have you believe, isn't it? Now... Again, willful blindness from Andrew C. McCarthy over National Review. His new article says the privilege belongs to the incumbent president and no one else. The great Seth J. Levy responds, if this were true, no president could consult on an issue that was at all controversial during his term without fear that his successor would use those consultations as political weapons against him and his party. That's pretty simple, isn't it? Pretty simple. The great Terry Green, Christian commentator over in Atlanta, links to two verses out of Isaiah. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. Amen. Amen. Absolutely. Uh, John Rackham calls himself an American soldier for Christ. He links to Psalm 113, pardon me, not 113, Psalm 11, verse 3. I'm going to give you 1 through 3. I might even give you 1 through 7. In the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to your mountain? For behold, the wicked bend the law. They have fitted their arrows to the string to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see, his eyelids test the children of man. The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Let him rain coals on the wicked. Fire and sulfur and a scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. The Federalist 
As a new bombshell article, DOJ conceals records about Biden's use of federal agencies to influence elections. Have you heard about this? Sean Fleetwood has it. DOJ concealing key documents related to Joe Biden's March 2021 order that directed executive agencies to develop plans for federal interference in state election administration. I would recommend that you take a look at this article. My voice is going. I'm not going to be able to read the whole thing to you. The great U.S. Representative Thomas Massey, Kentucky, said in 2013, retired ATF agent turned gun control lobbyist and Biden's failed nominee to head the ATF, David Chipman, told National Public Radio that the federal government is not allowed to computerize gun purchase records. So why is Biden creating a digital gun registry anyway if it's against the law? Well, I think we all know, don't we? I think we all know. So I've got to share this with you because I promised at the start of the show that I would, and I didn't realize that it would take over two hours and 20 minutes to get to it. Sophia Corso over the Federalist.com. Article entitled CDC admits post-vaccine myocarditis concerns that were labeled COVID misinformation are legit. Subtitle. In context, the CDC's latest numbers about post-vaccination myocarditis represent a significant departure from last year's narrative pushed by the health bureaucrats and the media. Okay, check it out. When reports first surfaced, In 2021, that some cases of myocarditis, the inflammation of the heart muscle, potentially leading to blood clots and heart attack or stroke, were potentially associated with the COVID-19 vaccine, the corporate media and its fact-checkers were quick to label them as misinformation, saying the benefits of the vaccine far outweigh its small risks. And she links to PolitiFact, and she links to the Associated Press, and she links to factcheck.org. She says, a year later, though, the media can no longer deny that what they call misinformation actually has data to back it up. As Matt Shapiro detailed in his Substack post on the matter over at politimath.substack.com, last year's so-called misinformation of vaccine-associated myocarditis in young men is this year's well-established fact. According to Vaccine Safety Data Link at the CDC's website, the surveillance data from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention conducted this year, within a week of receiving the Dose 2 primary series of the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine, there were 14 verified cases of myocarditis or pericarditis among the 102,000 males aged 16 and 17 who got the shot. Among the nearly 206,000 12 to 15-year-old males who received the same series, 31 cases were confirmed within a week. These numbers might seem small or meaningless, but in context, they represent a significant departure from last year's conventional wisdom 
pushed by health bureaucrats and parroted by the media. In 2021, the CDC's reported rates of myocarditis during the zero to seven day risk period following vaccination were significantly lower compared to recent numbers. For instance, in August last year, the CDC reported 42.6 per million cases and 71.5 per million cases for 12 through 15 and 16 through 17 year old males, respectively. But now the health agency admits those incident rates are actually 150 and a half per million for the younger group. Ooh, that'd be more than twice what they said last year. And 137 per million for the older. Oh, my goodness. That would be 350% bigger than what they said last year. Among 16- and 17-year-old males, the incidence rate jumps to a whopping 188 per million following the first booster, with nine of the almost 48,000 developing heart inflammation in the week after that shot. While rates from the latest CDC study are three to five times higher for young men than what the CDC was reporting this time last year, other health experts whom the media discredited were ahead of the curve. Data from a study conducted by Tracy Hogue, MD, PhD, and others in 2021 aligns with the latest CDC numbers from 2022. The doctors reported a rate of 94 cases of cardiac adverse events per million for 16- to 17-year-old males and 162 per million for 12- to 15-year-old males. While this is compatible with the latest CDC study, the corporate media and the fact-checkers labeled it misinformation when it was published last year. Following Dr. Hogue's study's publication, the British Medical Journal claimed critics called the study deeply flawed and said it delivered an anti-vaccine message. PolitiFact reported that posts about myocarditis risk on Facebook were flagged as part of the platform's effort to combat false news and misinformation on its newsfeed. Big Tech used these so-called fact checks to censor good-faith Americans, dissenting medical experts, and even lawmakers who questioned the CDC's vaccinations for all narrative. For example, Senator Ron Johnson, Republican Wisconsin, was labeled fundamentally dangerous in his efforts to let Americans discuss adverse reactions they experienced after receiving COVID shots. The Wisconsin Senator's YouTube channel was also temporarily suspended in November 2021 for the fifth time after posting a video of a panel on vaccine-related injuries that was deemed to be COVID misinformation. Yet adverse effects do occur, as even the CDC has now acknowledged, including the aforementioned vaccine-associated myocarditis. Efforts to quash alternative research prevented members of the public from considering this information, which would have allowed them to make better informed decisions about the COVID jab for themselves and their children. As Dr. Hogue wrote on Twitter, if we hadn't been vilified as anti-vaxxers spreading misinformation and disinformation, how would the conversation around minimizing the chance of this adverse event have changed and how many cases of myocarditis or pericarditis in young males would have been prevented over the last year? Concern about myocarditis was not the only COVID-related content to be described as misinformation and nuked from the public square of social media, though. 
The corporate media, health bureaucrats, and even Biden repeated the narrative that COVID vaccines prevent the transmission of the virus. In November 2021, USA Today ran an article stating vaccines work against contracting, spreading COVID-19, fact-checking social media posts that raised concern about whether the shots worked. The vaccine hesitant and those who resisted sweeping mandates were smeared as anti-vaxxers. But as the Federalists reported, the ruling regime was the real purveyor of misinformation. In January 2022, CDC Director Rochelle Walensky finally admitted on CNN that the vaccines can't prevent transmission. Many pandemic concerns that were once labeled misinformation have since proved to be true, such as learning loss due to school closures, the effectiveness of natural immunity, the ineffectiveness of cloth face coverings, and the social and economic harms of mass lockdowns, just to name a few. The ruling class being wrong about myocarditis risk is just the latest in its long list of misinforming the public about what's misinformation to the detriment of free speech, institutional trust, and public health. Wow. That is Sophia Corso over the Federalist.com article entitled CDC Admits Post-Vaccine Myocarditis Concerns That Were Labeled COVID Misinformation Are Legit. Man, isn't that something? Isn't that something? Now, now, let me mention, if I may, one more quote from Mike Davis. The political bottom line, there are too many D.C. insiders, Democrat and Republican, who hate Trump. They're terrified he'll run again and win. Trump threatens our D.C. uniparty rulers badly. So they're doing everything they can to eliminate him as a contender. Shrieking about so-called democracy. Mike Davis is a sharp guy. If you, uh, if you haven't checked out my interview with him, episode 225, you want to do that. Also, my interview with Jeff Clark, episode 220. Yeah, you're going to want to do that too. By the way, uh, Robert Spencer over Jihad Watch reporting or linking to the Associated Press article, Afghanistan, U.S. Black Hawk helicopter that we left behind, crashes during training session, three Taliban jihadis killed. Robert Spencer says, was this old Joe Biden's secret plan all along? What a genius. Leaving behind helicopters, the Taliban couldn't figure out how to fly. It's a joke. All right. Um, I think we have come to the part of the program. Yes. One of my favorite parts of the program in which I get to say, hit it, Brian. 
We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. It's the Doc Washburn Show Tweet of the Day. Brought to you by RedRiverYourWay.com. Red River Your Way, the big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom, including your freedom to buy the car, truck, or SUV of your choice the way you want to online, car, truck, van, or SUV. And have it delivered to your front door anywhere in the continental United States of America. Our tweet of the day is from cnsnews.com. Article entitled, well, it has a quote from Queen Elizabeth. Jesus, a man whose teachings have been the bedrock of my faith. Wow. Queen Elizabeth, who delivered a Christmas message to the British people every year, said in her last Christmas message this past December, eight months after her husband, Prince Philip, had died, that the teachings of Jesus Christ had been, quote, the bedrock of my faith, unquote. In that address, Queen Elizabeth said, As for me and my family, even with one familiar laugh missing this year, there will be joy in Christmas as we have the chance to reminisce and see anew the wonder of the festive season through the eyes of our young children, of whom we were delighted to welcome four more, this year. She said, they teach us all a lesson, just as the Christmas story does, that in the birth of a child, there is a new dawn with endless potential. She said, it is this simplicity of the Christmas story that makes it so universally appealing. Simple happenings that formed the starting point of the life of Jesus, a man whose teachings have been handed down from generation to generation and have been the bedrock of my faith. She said his birth marked a new beginning. Wow. That's wonderful. That is wonderful. All right, having said that, you've been listening to episode 238 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. The views and opinions expressed on the Doc Washburn Show do not necessarily reflect those of our advertisers, but they love us and we love them. Today's program has been produced by Tim Terrible, directed by Mick Messy. This has been a terribly messy production. Portions of today's show will be taken overseas and dropped. If you'd like a transcript of today's episode of the all-new Doc Washburn Show, simply peel the roof off a Rolls-Royce panel truck and send it to Mansour's Computer Solutions, 7th floor of the Ephemeral B. Smoot Building, Whitehall, Arkansas, in care of Sheriff Mansour Sempier of the 10th. And that's the way it is, Tuesday, September 13th, 2022.